You've reached Hotel Pacifico, your five-star destination for BC Politicos. Press 4 for room service. Press the star key for your hosts, Mike McDonald and Kate Hammer. Welcome back, guests. We have opened up the hotel for this special budget edition of Hotel Pacifico. Mike and Jeff, I hope you were able to get over, over to Victoria today, uh, safe and sound. You both made it? I came last night. Well, Jeff's very prepared. He's, he's, <laughs> he's very proactive. He got over here the night before I think I showed styles. up. At the I show up, show up at the float plane with the low cloud cover. So uh -huh. I uh -huh. was uh, very nervous waiting for the flight to be cleared, but managed to break into the lockup after it had uh, closed. And uh, I demanded to be in, to uh, be given entry because I am with Hotel Pacifico. <laughs> I love that that name we, carries that cloud. We yeah. could not be denied, and I even have the pass to show it here, Hotel Pacifico. Nice, Mike McDonald. There you go. It's nice. Official. Well, yeah. we gotta we gotta give the breakdown for our listeners, and so I'm, I am keen to hear from both of you. I've been reading a lot of the coverage, and I'll say I'll I'll set us up and say you know one thing that strikes me, and looking at the coverage, you can see there isn't one clear headline. Uh, this was a tough budget, I think, for the government. There just wasn't an easy way for them to kind of land a clear uh, a clear story out of this one. Uh, and a tough place where you're really probably managing a lot of folks who are disappointed, either disappointed because the thing they wanted wasn't funded or disappointed because maybe they're concerned about the overall kind of growth of the, the debt uh, ratio to GDP. So I'll, I'll start with you, Jeff. I mean, tell me, does that analysis seem fair? And, and who might be some of the folks you think out of today who might be um, who might be disappointed by what wasn't in this budget? Well, there's a lot of people who are always disappointed, but I think some people were happy that the government had a very difficult hand to play and they decided to play it, I think, quite shrewdly because growth is down. Uh, they're coming up to an election. They decided to make it a very strong defensive budget, in my view, facing uh, you know a divided opposition and they're a strong position in the polls. They wound up with a uh, something they could say to everybody. They made a, they made the core values decision not to make cuts in the face of declining uh, revenues. So there's a, a deficit there. But uh, uh, Finance Minister Katrine Conroy, very clear that she was not prepared to tolerate a deficit in services when British Columbians are facing so many financial pressures. So in the debates ahead, you will see uh, demands for relief on energy pricing. And there is a, 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 a a bonus for people, a reduction for everybody on their electricity this this year. Uh, there's a family bonus one time, which uh, I think between the two of them will add up to more than a thousand dollars for most families, especially in the lower income brackets. Uh, so this is direct action on affordability and an enormous discussion about about housing, um, uh, some more assistance for first time home buyers, a bit more protection for renters. And in a, a lot of discussion, of course, about the huge investments they're making in rental housing for uh, middle-income families, a program that's been rolling out for a number of weeks now. So they are in a good position going into the election to respond to the attacks they're likely to get. And what I understand um, opposition leader Kevin Falcon is doing is denouncing it as the craziest spending budget he's ever seen, reckless beyond measure. And I don't think the voters actually care about that if they feel their services are being protected. There's a huge lift there for healthcare, but the government did the best job it could on fiscal management by keeping it flat for all the other ministries. And I think that's a uh, calculated risk. Uh, you know, a larger deficit might have meant some more lift uh, for other ministries, but it's very flat uh, or yeah. even down yeah. for a lot of the line ministries. Well, so well, that's Jeff, I, uh, the... Jeff, I uh, 
I didn't notice that there was a charitable tax credit in the budget for your analysis. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, Mike. No, well, this very, is not uh, a registered charity, say, Mike. I'm, I'm yeah, making, yeah. My, my advice is free, as you know. Okay, so you I get will, what you pay for. It's worth I'll, what you pay for. It. There's yeah, some numbers sure. to too. back up. There's some numbers to back up what Jeff's saying, right? In the sense that the new spending was, I think, just shy of seven billion, so six point nine or something, right? And then the deficit itself is is uh, is seven point nine, right? So they really were in a position that. They were probably going to be in the red. I let, know how we love talking about the red ink. Mm. They were going to be in the red regardless. The, and it was the unsuspecting uh, good people of Victoria who are outside my window here going about their daily business in the sunshine are completely unaware of the tsunami of red ink that is about to wash <laughs> up on their shores. There is well, more. Me. The red ink is taller than David Eby himself. Let me tell you. <laughs> well, that's the question, Mike. So let me let me put this in place to you. Yeah. Doesn't well, no, matter. no. I mean, it doesn't matter, but it. Well, it does, because I do think in the sense that folks do take this as a sort of, a, 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 it's a very easy to understand number and how you appreciate sort of the fiscal management and the government. And I think I want to put it to you in a slightly more nuanced way and say, you know, is this the right amount of red ink, right? Like where, you know, appreciating they probably were going to have to be in the red given the economic conditions. I mean, you know, would you, would you, should they have diminished that more? And in the spending they did do, were those the right things? Well, we've talked a lot on the show about when there's too much black ink um, yes. and now there's too much uh, <laughs> red ink. Yeah. Uh, I thought Les Lane had a really good question in the lockup. He just put it to the minister and said, you know, two years ago when you forecasted what the deficit would be this year hmm. or when the government did, they forecast a $3 billion deficit for this year. Now it's eight. So what's changed? Now, the minister had a very direct response to it. She said, well, we could have raised taxes. We could have cut spending and we chose not to do that. We decided to just borrow. And that is exactly what they've done. And to Jeff's point, I agree that it does strike me as a bit of a defensive budget. It's a bit like, let's just calm the waters, make sure we're spending where we got to spend. And some of uh, the interests out there that could get a little uppity about it did get a few things as well, like business. I'll get into that. But I, I don't feel like there's a um, a great uh, propelling vision behind the budget. And as some um, uh, wag in the back room of the lockup said to me, uh, if EB was five points down, this budget would look very different. Yeah. But EB yeah. is uh, not five points down. He's about 20 points up. And so I, I think it, it's cautious, cautious from a political point of view. We can debate the economics. We can debate the the fiscal um, merits of it from political basis. They think I believe they think is this is a safe, you know, a safe approach. And there's always a little danger. I think when you're played too safe too. I think uh, mm -hmm. you know. But the, don't the opposition attack is likely to be pretty incoherent because on the one hand they want more help on affordability for people because they got to say something about people and not just talk about the bond readers and so mm -hmm. forth. On the other hand, they want cuts, but no, they won't say what cuts they want, and they want their hospital mm -hmm. open next week, and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So if you look at the capital spending on the budget, uh, there's a lot there for the average voter who wants to see if the government passes a head nod test on a number of fronts. Do so oppositions need to be coherent? Uh, it's helpful. Indeed. I mean, I think it's helpful. I, mean, it, it, it's, I never um, felt you were particularly coherent when you were oh, in opposition. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, this is getting well, glad they're a, off. We were busy the, governing. You guys were so unreasonable. Mood all day. So unreasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
Are but, you saying this because BC United is so coherent right now, Mike? Like, is this? Well, I'm just saying I, I I do think opposition has more license to. Uh, yeah, to, but yes. uh, to fi to finish my to compelling to, and incisive point, yes. Mike. Yes. If exactly. you see a school opening in your neighborhood, you think education is probably getting spending. If you see a hospital yeah. going up, you think probably healthcare is going to be okay. And there's a lot of yeah. the both of those happening. I know that's tough though, eh? Like, it, so they had the one school in Victoria I saw, and then the really direct question about Olympic and, Village sounds like that's coming. And a big uh, Amazon order of Lego has been sent to Surrey um, to build modular schools. Uh, the minister oh, went on that about that. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, apparently Olympic Village is going to get a school because they they mm -hmm. they, they telegraph that, but yeah. for Surrey, it's just more little building blocks. I mean, that's not a lot um, of schools, though, in an election year, right? Like, you got to sprinkle those around. Well, <laughs> those are I mean, a lot of schools there. So yeah. so on the capital side, let me dive into that for a second. There is a big increase in capital spending. And when you unpack that, it's on important stuff like hospitals, lots of hospital stuff, St. Paul's, uh, Burnaby, you know, Terrace. Couchin. Yeah. All, lots How long of, have we got? Usually is. is. There let usually me get my is list. A, yeah, there usually is a lot of hospital stuff. Uh, there's a lot of transportation stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Stephen really Gibo, please please close your ears, Stephen Gibo. There's a lot, actually, quite a bit on roads there. Yeah. Um, uh, SkyTrain uh, is in there, so Langley and uh, Broadway. So you know these those are projects most voters would agree with. You know, healthcare, roads. What's not to like? Mm -hmm. um, my question would be, and this is a Von Palmer point that was raised was like, geez, some of the costing of these capital projects a couple of years ago is now like 60% higher. What's happened? And there is huge cost es escalation on the capital side. So I'm concerned as a taxpayer that these capital the capital envelope is going up, but we're not necessarily getting more for it. It's um, same project, just more money. So I, from a governing point of view, I would like to see more focus and, um, you know, a, greater sense of urgency and alarm about the spiraling cost of these uh, capital projects. I just don't think, I'm not saying this is literally happening, but throwing your hands up in the air and saying escalating labor costs is, is enough. Like, what are we going to do about it? You know, that's, that's, well, um, like, you know, I problem. checked into the hotel and discovered it was full, but there's, it's actually the third empty because they can't get staff for a bunch of the rooms. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, it is a real problem. I don't think, uh, there's been too much added in to the to the capital plan. These are all commitments that were made, and it'll be hard for anybody to stand up and say, uh, you know, sure, value engineering, but let's not do the couch and hospital, or never mind, Mills Memorial can stay the way it is for a lot while longer. That's that's not going to happen. Mm. And, you know, the bottom line is on this whole debt question, uh, our uh, interest bite, while it's rising, yes, is still a fraction of what it is in Ontario and Quebec or Canada as a whole. And that's the government's key defense on that front for people who are, paying attention to the fiscal argument. We we you're, still have we still have a very healthy situation. And I heard naysayers and doomsayers yeah. wondering if we would get a um get a downgrade. It'll be interesting to see because uh, if a downgrade happens to BC, then it'll happen in a lot of places. I moved to BC four years ago from Ontario. And one of the things I've come to appreciate is all the small ways we do things differently here. The way us locals show that we're local, that we are of BC. Some things are obvious, like the way we embrace rain gear and how grown men and women wear adult-sized splash pants to the office. It rains here all the time, but we don't complain about the weather. We complain about ferry delays and the lineups at 7th Heaven. Sometimes it's more subtle, more values-based. 
like how we embrace mountain views, but not always the advice of dentists to put fluoride in the drinking water. And milk comes in a plastic jug or carton, not a plastic bag. That's too Ontario, like the Maple Leafs and Drake. From the very beginning, Hotel Pacifico's presenting sponsor, Talis, has been of and for BC. 20 years ago, their first office in the Brian Canfield Center in Burnaby was affectionately known as the Boot, an obvious reference to a blundstone. And Telus has stayed true to their BC roots and commitment to community ever since. It shows up in things like the $18.5 billion investments in network infrastructure, operations, and spectrum Telus has committed across BC over just the next three years. After years of supporting reforestation efforts, Telus just planted their one millionth tree. That's a total equivalent of 20,000 acres of forest, or an area 20 times the size of Vancouver's Stanley Park. When British Columbians partner with TELUS, that is an investment that comes back to our communities through jobs, infrastructure, community giving, and government revenue. When TELUS wins, BC wins. Because we're all in this together. Even Drake. Maybe we should send him some splash pants. I'm the first person to ask a, like an interjurisdictional like comparison. I mean, even on Mike's point about the cost of uh, capital projects, I was sort of wondering like, okay, what are other, what are other provinces and what are the feds doing in terms of what their estimates, how much their estimates are going up? Cause I suspect it might be consistent. Anyway, my but, point is though, I find with voters, I think that does not work. That is a policy wonk thing. The voters well, don't care if it hurts. It hurts. It, I, yeah. It hurts later when you can't afford to do things because the cost uh, of capital of uh, running these capital projects went way up. And BC has done a pretty good job managing capital projects over the years. Um, you know, Partnerships BC, which is now basically morphed into TI Corp. You know, there's a lot of expertise there. I know it's hard, um, but uh, that's one where I would just be pulling out all the stops to try to uh, do what it takes to get more out of the capital spend that they're getting. Oh. Uh, fair enough, but this, the other infrastructure debate that was preceding the the uh, budget was well, you know, LNG Canada two is finishing phase one, so I'd see is finishing. Uh, there's yeah. going to be some other stuff winding up. Are we going to have enough to take up the slack? And the answer is yes, and that will include, it looks like, private sector investment in the northwest because the government signaled repeatedly it was very committed to uh, that kind of development for uh, by a number of measures. One is electrification of the Northwest, which is something that's been talked about for a long time, needed to reduce emissions for gas projects. They also committed five years times 50 million bucks, a quarter of a billion dollars to commit communities in the Northwest alignment to help them with their municipal infrastructure costs. So if there wasn't any more construction going to happen, I don't think they would be committing a quarter of a billion dollars to them. Uh, and they also committed to provide uh, backup to First Nations wanting to take equity positions in energy projects. Yeah, and the a, three, the three together are a powerful signal yeah. of where the government thinks revenue will come from in the future. It's going to continue to come, as it has this year, from uh, uh, oil and gas, or from gas royalties, basically. And um, another pressure in the budget, which uh, is an interesting thing to me about how the debate on climate has changed, was hundreds of millions of dollars in various places of additional spending for climate mitigation, for firefighting, you know, to just building in the realities that we're now facing on those fronts. And those are cost pressures that everybody would have. And they're just, there's just no way you can cut them. I mean, this, the, uh, this budget is tight and austere in certain ways because it's flat for all of the other ministries, except education, the forecast allowance disappeared and they're going to go to contingencies instead. And the finance minister, that was always part of the mix, but the forecast allowance was kind of a contingency for the contingencies. Mm. Uh, they are not going to do that because they feel they need the flexibility to go to contingency 
for things like climate issues and other emergencies, which we've been having on a regrettably frequent basis. Yeah. So there were some interesting sub-themes to the conversation today. Well, there's a bit of a political advantage of having a larger contingency too. Um, I did notice in some of the line-by-line -line items uh, spent by ministry, there are some surges this year, education, for instance. I don't quite understand the education budget where it went up $800 million, which uh, was about 10%. And then the next two years are flat. And so there's a few examples where the second and third year of the three-year plan are flat. I'm thinking like, how's that going to play out? I, I, I don't understand well, that part of it. Well, and on that point, Mike, I met stakeholders from the second uh, post-secondary sector, education sector. Nobody knows what the consequences are going to be of the federal decision to cap international students, but yeah. it's uh, varying a lot from place to place. So Langara, which has always had a high share of international students, is uh, very anxious. So is Simon Fraser, yeah. BCIT. Recruits yeah, yeah, much more yeah. from uh, local population, so they're not so worried. Yeah. So um, I went into the electronic copy of the budget and did a few command F searches to see, <laughs> looking for certain words. I did not see the word fentanyl. I did not see the word opioid. Um, I did see addiction. Yeah. Uh, there but was I'm 70 million on mental health and addictions. Well, I'm about. surprised with uh, the number of deaths in the fentanyl crisis. Uh, there was no no call out to that in the budget specifically uh, for law enforcement or uh, drug treatment specifically. So uh, one could argue that was addressed through uh, some of the language around addiction recovery, which there was some stuff in there. I wouldn't say there was a, it did not feel like we are at war over fentanyl in terms of what I read in the budget, uh, but there was some stuff there. Um, Another thing, just a, a noting, caught my eye, buried in the details, was a reference to revenues uh, to be received from the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And it didn't specify a number, but it's acknowledging that with the Trans Mountain coming on, on stream in the next year, there is money to be received to the public purse from mm -hmm. Trans Mountain. And, mm -hmm. and that is in, tracks back 10 years to Christy Clark and the Five Conditions, when she said, I'll only consider oil pipelines if there's something in it for BC. And uh, that's partly what flows out of that, literally. So um, so a little bit, even though there's opposition, uh, I would say actually a majority of people support the Trans Mountain Pipeline, according to the polls, but of those that strongly object to it, uh, they can comfort themselves knowing that there is... Well, I'm glad you mentioned Trans Mountain. Well, because I'm looking... It, it partly answers your question, Kate, about what's happening in other projects. There's a federally managed infrastructure project that was in the private sector for quite a while, and it's like threefold its original cost. So it's a very, very mm -hmm. big problem. I don't, of course, I disagree, don't disagree with Mike. We should try to manage it down, but mm -hmm. there's so much you can do. Right. Well, and these are projections, obviously. So, we, yeah, um, they come from a few places. Um, well, I'm curious for both of you, like looking at this, uh, is, I mean, realistically, what do we see cutting through? What is going to be the story of this budget? Is this going to punch through to the voters who might, you know, probably aren't paying that much attention yet, um, but who might, um, is there anything that's going to stay on their brains when they start turning their heads to voting in a few months? Well, I think it's, it's hard it, it, because there's no real uh, huge overarching theme here. It's a bit like nailing jello and the government is a, risk if something does take off that they haven't framed uh -huh. um if you package up rising debt sluggish economic growth um no real um showpiece affordability item in the budget uh -huh. 
I think there could be some vulnerability there that there's just a bit of a malaise feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't want to oversell that. I, I think, um, that relies on opposition to successfully prosecute it. And that remains to be seen. But, um, to me, there's a bit of a vacuum there, uh, on the, like they're Can just, I? the economy's just kind of sitting there and not doing much. Um, the spending's up, the debt's yeah. up. I mean, you go back over the years, there were times when governments went through that and it didn't work out very well for them. You know, I think people want to feel like they're going in a positive direction, even if tough times are ahead, that there's a plan to deal with it. And there's, there's no forecast for a balanced budget. Like it's, it, even if that's not the be all end all, but yeah, that the debt curve just is going up. Yeah. And so what is the plan? Is it just going to be structural deficit forever? You know, five cents on the dollar for debt today, no big deal, but right. well, I think there's a, but how, danger. when do we start caring? 10, 15, 20? Well, sure. We do start caring. And, and, you know, and I think there's a, it's important to point out that the debt to GDP ratio is like in the last couple of years, you know, 15% to 27.5%. Like that's a steep, we'll, mm. we'll get to that point. But I was actually going to say something, and and I feel like this might feel different for me than for the two of you. But something that I could see sticking in some minds is the IVF problem uh, promise, right? Like I do mm -hmm. think it's not a big thing, but there's a segment of voters who are really important and live to them. And I'm going to say, yeah. well, people will talk about it being mostly women, but I think it'll be women and their partners of a certain age right. who are struggling right. to afford homes, right? Like I think that is the kind of thing that sticks around. It's a talker, and I think that's a success in that sense. I agree. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. It was 11.52 p.m. on January 12, 2024, when I arrived in Vancouver after a week of aloha. As I walked breezily out the arrivals door at YVR, a wall of frozen air punched me right in the face. Pro tip, check the forecast before you arrive from Hawaii in a t-shirt. While I was unprepared for this wintry cold blast, our sponsor, Fortis BC, was working overtime to ensure BC residents were not left in the cold. On that day, Fortis BC delivered twice the energy of BC's electricity system and at 21,763 megawatts showed us all how much we rely on diversified energy pathways. The thing is, gas customers like you and me have invested billions of dollars over the years into building the infrastructure that delivers gas to our homes and businesses across BC. That paid-for infrastructure allows gas to reach us reliably, safely, and affordably. Like when that cold snap caused me to snap at YVR. Why did I leave my coat in my suitcase anyway? There'll be another January 12th, hopefully not too soon, and Fortis BC will be there for us with a diversified approach that builds on the strengths of our gas and electricity delivery systems and helps us meet provincial emissions reduction targets towards a clean energy transition. Hotel Pacifico may be heated by its own hot air, but Fortis BC is there when we need it. Energy for a better BC and a better podcast. I think that we lose sight of the fact we're in a different period than we were when we used to have these debt to GDP arguments. I mean, we are not now uh, just coming off a big, big, long, long, long boom like we were just before COVID. We just had uh, a shellacking you know, financially for two or three years in a row with completely unprecedented changes, uh, some of which were very welcome. I mean, a year ago at this time, the government had just shed uh, billions of dollars of end of year uh, spending. Uh, you know, so the uh, you know, during the pandemic, there was a point at which I think the government was forecasting nine years of deficits and nobody was arguing. Nobody could be sure when finances would come back into scope. So part of the difficulty is, I think, is if you want to, you know, and I, I always like big vision pieces as much as Mike, I think, but 
is this what people are really looking for right now? And I don't know the answer, but if they feel generally satisfied and the polls suggest they do, that this is a government that has steered them through some pretty choppy waters and they're going to get a little of a bit of a break on their energy costs. They're going to get a bit of a break on some of their other direct costs. They're going to continue to receive uh, free contraception, the IVF thing. Um, you know, they're going to see more support in the healthcare budget for seniors who don't want to go into long-term care, but would like to stay at home. That may be what is really going to hit the mood properly more than some large throw towards uh, some great new vision. Because right now, I think people are going, I'd like some security and some strength in the government. I don't want to see a lot of uh, experimentation and risk. So I think the challenge for the opposition is to make this fiscal argument into something meaningful for people in their daily lives. Because you can tell me all you want that my our debt to GDP ratio is wrong. But if I'm getting a bit of help on my energy costs, that will trump that discussion. Well, I think the opposition, you know, one tack they could take is tell voters that uh, the government's no longer wearing the comfortable cardigan sweater of John Horgan and uh -huh. uh, is now wearing the, uh, you know, tie-dye T-shirt of David Eby. Um, and, uh, you know, the... Well, yeah. It's not tie-dye, it's a white starch shirt. <laughs> it's right. no tie. I mean, no, the guy, but I think... guy sweeps in a suit, I'm sure of no, it. No, I mean, this is the interesting thing, but I think, I think Mike is bang on. I do think this creates... Because because it was just such different economic conditions under the Horgan government, I don't think it's a big difference in, in, in how Horgan or EB view the deficit. But it could become a bit of a contrast, and maybe... I think it remains to be seen, but maybe some of that John, Hor John Horgan glow does kind of shake off EB over time. Um, we'll be watching it to see it, uh, I guess. But I want to I want to thank you, Jeff and Mike, for making the time today to do this post budget analysis. It was actually really fun to kind of tuck into this one, and I hope um, listeners uh, you can get a you know a helpful quick digest from us. Uh, and I hope if you saw Jeff and Mike in the lockup, you did say hi. So. Um, uh, I can, I, can I sneak in a point, Kate? Just uh, oh, so under, under you the have wire. thirty seconds. Just you to be, just seconds. to be fair, I, I should be a little yeah. bit fair. Um, you know, if people do have time to look at the budget, um, yeah. there there are a lot of morsels in there, and you know, one thing I think the government has done is did go and address some stakeholder needs, and that helps neutralize the politics uh, when people are heard and they get their stuff dealt with, like small business uh, companies under a million dollars in payroll. They get a break on the um, uh, what's it, Jeff? The EHT, yeah, the um, mm -hmm. health transfer thingamajiggy, the MSP replacement uh, tax. So for small businesses, that's meaningful for small payrolls, right? And the board of trade worked hard on that and and got some mitigation on what they were looking for, and and there's other there's other examples too. So um, it's a mixed bag, uh, but I, you know, it's it's not like there wasn't any thought or political uh, strategy or legitimate government outreach in it. There, there was a well, lot. So it's, no, in it's fact, just on that tough point, uh, the premier yeah. personally, not, and I would normally be the finance minister, is going to the board of trade tomorrow for a big gathering to talk about it. So he's owning the budget personally, and it's very clearly part of his political manifesto for the coming year. Yeah. All right. Thank you both for your ending uh, codexes there. Uh, and uh, thank you, presenting sponsor, TELUS. Thank you, Fortis BC. We'll see you next week, guests. BC, you can never leave. Check out time at Hotel Pacifico. We hope you enjoyed your stay.